I have a story about a young black man trying to make his way in the world. This was the 1990s. This man was a kind and gentle person. And though he had a college degree in history and worked hard, it seemed he just couldn't catch a break. His skin color and his physical size intimidated people, so they said. He was about six feet, seven inches tall, and at that height carried a lot of weight, even though it was well distributed. His friends and family thought of him as a gentle giant. In his prime, he was said to resemble a young Denzel Washington. He was a former high school basketball star, a voracious reader, and a deep thinker. He worked hard at mostly manual labor jobs, but his dream was to be a school teacher, maybe someday a university professor. At one point in his life, he found himself working as a waiter at a posh whites-only country club. The pay was much better and he was amiable and efficient and popular. After a while, he had regular customers, movers and shakers, government leaders, judges, members of the elite in the state. They requested him by name. He was, to their astonishment, highly conversant in history and just about any other subject you can think of. One young country club regular struck up a friendship with this young black man. For days and hours at a time, year after year, he engaged him incessantly and found his intellect to be genuinely keen. After a few years, the black man thought that this white man, almost a peer in terms of age, this man of importance, might be agreeable to writing a brief letter of recommendation for him so that he could participate in a unique pilot teaching position in the local school system. The gentleman was happy to help, he said, and the black man was thrilled. This would get him closer to his chosen career. Now, you know where this is going, right? The setting was a whites-only country club. <clears throat> it turns out the black man didn't get one of the several pilot teaching positions and he was determined to know why. He contacted the school system every single day and finally someone there felt sorry for him, broke down and told him the truth. The white man, whose family name was synonymous with wealth and power in the state, sent a horrid letter of reference. In the letter, he told the school system that they should not, under any circumstances, hire this black man. This is Dr. Catherine Bancoli Medina with The Invention of Racism. The goal of this podcast series is to share the subtle and not so subtle nuances of racism from the past into the 21st century. Understanding and speaking the truth about racism 
is the first step toward combating and ultimately eliminating it. And I want to apologize to everyone. I have a slight cold, but we'll, we will soldier on. In this podcast episode, we explore the idea of racist game theory, and then we wrap up this story. There are so many ways to look at this story. It's a cautionary tale of sorts, and it does remind me of Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, first published in 1952. Who could forget this classic story in African-American literature of a young black man, college educated, who waged an epic struggle against racism in a society which absolutely refused to see him as human. But I have chosen the idea of racist game theory to contextualize this tale. Now, many of you already know the basics of game theory. Game theory is roughly defined as the interaction between two or more people where choices are made to effectuate desired outcomes, which will yield positive or negative benefits for the players. Game theory has been around a long time and is found in several academic disciplines, especially biology, um, engineering, computer science, and economics. But, you know, it's also something we engage in as a part of human interaction every single day. Racist game theory, then, is the interaction between two or more people or groups of people classified by race where strategic decisions are made to yield a positive benefit or outcome for the individual or group that claims power and superiority over others. Unlike game theory in general, where opponents sometimes have to cooperate and negotiate in order to gain favorable results, in racist game theory, the goal is to keep the opponent off guard until a zero-sum game can be completed. In racist game theory, everything is a competition where skill and strategy intersect with choice. In racist game theory, the game is interpreted as war, and the assumption, which is a choice in thinking, is to imagine that people considered among the lesser races know that this is a, a war game, and if they, those who think they are superior, don't act immediately, these so-called lesser people will strike first. I think this is part of the reason why the presence of one single solitary black person or person of color in predominantly white enclaves is viewed by racists as numerically excessive and even threatening. Racist game theory operates even if one of the players doesn't know there is a serious game afoot. And we should pause at this point. In this country, as in other parts of the world, there is always a counter movement that suggests that systemic racism doesn't exist, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. The problem is, racists are serious about their project, and sometimes their victims deny, ignore, dismiss, and even enable calculated racist behavior. For many targets of racism, 
It is a social cultural inconvenience fomented by unstable individuals rather than a serious pattern of systemic and organized discriminatory thought and practice. So here are some prominent examples of racist game theory that come to mind. One is the GOP voter suppression efforts in the United States. The Brennan Center for Justice recently reported that since the beginning of this year, 2021, 18 states have passed 30 laws that restrict access to voting and purportedly hundreds, hundreds more are being developed. Some of the targeted areas include voting by mail, early voting, and the implementation of stricter voter ID requirements. While these measures hurt all voters, the main target is Black, Latino, and immigrant people. Racist game theory is an adaptive system. For the GOP, the goal is not to create policies and platforms that win voters. The goal is to subdue and eliminate the franchise so that a win is procured without having to deliver any social benefit to the population. Number two, also keep in mind that hate crimes are rampant in this particular moment. The FBI recently reported that based on 2020 data, hate crimes in the United States have risen to their highest level in 12 years. The increase in hate crimes is due to increased attacks on black and Asian Americans. Examples of recent cases are nothing new. But nearly two years ago, a white woman in Iowa was convicted of two counts of hate crimes because she tried to kill two children walking down the street. In two hit-and-run incidents, she struck the children with her car. Now, in racist game theory, she did this because she believed the children were of Mexican, Middle Eastern, or African descent. The point is they were not white and therefore did not belong in her neighborhood and thus had no right to life. She was charged with two federal hate crimes for attempting to kill these children. Third, I would like to add the attack on critical race theory, but honestly, the absurdity of this moment on this subject is still beyond me. I have said it several times, including in a separate podcast that you can check out, and I will continue to, to, to say so. Racists snatched an intellectual concept out of the ether of civil rights jurisprudence, substituted it to target educators who teach about racism and anti-racism in schools. And in doing so, they gave critical race theory a different meaning that they then proceeded to legislate against. So now we have people talking about critical race theory when what they really mean is race-based discourse in the public schools. Racist game theorists would applaud this maneuver primarily because it effectively obfuscates the public discussion and uses state power to do so. Number four, 
There is also a systemic problem of people of color being denied mortgage loans as compared to white applicants. Investigative reporters Emmanuel, Emmanuel Martinez and Lauren Kirchner studied over two million mortgage applications and they discovered across the entire nation that lenders were 40% more likely to reject Latino applicants, they were 50% more likely to reject Asian and Pacific Islander applicants, they were 70% more likely to reject Native American applicants, and they were, they were 80% more likely to reject black applicants. These applicants were comparable to their white counterparts on paper. And in some areas of the country, the discriminatory pattern is astronomically higher. Racist game theory would posit that Latino, Asian and Pacific Islander, Native American and black applicants were unwitting participants in an aspect of the game that was historically designed to help white families build and maintain wealth that can be leveraged intergenerationally. Fifth and finally, I am also thinking of Philip Mbuji Johansson, a 28-year-old engineering student from Denmark. He was killed in a similar fashion as was George Floyd and around the same time as Floyd uh, in the U.S. in 2020. Two white brothers killed Johansson. Purportedly, Mbuji Johansson was lifelong friends with one of the brothers. In addition to being choked George Floyd style, Johansson was tortured, he was stabbed, burned, and his bones were broken in a secluded forest area on the Danish island of Bornholm. Danish authorities immediately declared that the killing had nothing to do with race or racism. One of the brothers had Nazi tattoos, which were posted on Facebook. It didn't matter that Johansson was mixed race. He had left the Danish island because of racial discrimination. The brothers said that they attacked him because he had made sexual advances towards their mother. Now, Black Lives Matter leaders in Denmark called this entire affair a farce. So let's get back to our story and wrap this up. The young black man in our story who wanted to be a teacher didn't realize he was a player in a dehumanizing racist game. He wanted to believe what mainstream media and pop culture told him that racism was an individualistic anomaly and that given the right circumstances, if you followed the rules and lived right, did all of the respectable things necessary, you would prevail. Success is the probable outcome for following the rules, right? But that is an American fallacy for many people, especially African Americans. But that young black man, despite being regularly stopped on the street by police for being tall and black, relegated to sports and manual labor for the same reason, and often treated like a circus 
sideshow act because his command of history was remarkably eidetic. He still believed. Now the rich young white man from the country club went on to the state legislature and then to Congress. He came from a long line of wealthy politicians in the state. And you see him from time to time on conservative news shows ranting about immigration and liberal politics. The black man never realized his dream of becoming a school teacher. Unfortunately, after going back to construction work and having to work in inclement weather, he got very sick and was later diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. He died several years ago. This is a true story. And that young black man was my brother. He could quote paragraphs from obscure history texts, compare philosophers across decades and continents, and explain the rudiments of quantum physics. He was at a loss, yet still, as to why that man did what he did. Hopeful skeptics have a game-worthy dilemma. They are conditioned to believe that racism is never a possibility until it actually is a reality. Racist game theory operates with individual and group players. There are strategists and unwitting participants. The key is to hold on to your agency, your ability to make rational decisions based on relevant information and then act upon your choices with courage and authority. Racist game theory is strategic and multidimensional. It is multidimensional in that one oppressive act can produce compounded life-altering results. Consider the hundreds of GOP voter suppression laws in the pipeline, if successful, will completely disempower generations of black and other people of color. The actions of the white woman who attempted to kill brown and black children on the street in Iowa may induce others to do the same, depriving the children of their lives and preventing them from having children of their own. The attack on critical race theory effectively convolutes and distorts the real conversations about racism and social justice that are needed so that people react to and actually enact legislation on contrived information without the benefit of factual clarity in order to deprive others not only of their freedom of speech but the freedom from racist retaliation. As noted, racism in mortgage lending shutters the main pathway to the middle class, where home ownership was the primary way to build wealth, impacting families and communities across generations. Since racism is strictly competitive, the people of color who do not get mortgage loans see these finances given to white people. And like George Floyd, the case of Philip Mbuji Johansson in Denmark could have occurred anywhere in the world and has in France, Brazil, the UK, and the USA. 
the notion that a black man could be brutalized by his white friends and the idea that racism, racial hate crimes do not even enter the consciousness of a society is a game of counter reasoning. Racial violence deprives individuals of their lives and traumatizes them and their descendants. It has a chilling effect on black people because the state signals to the world that they can officially deny racism and mitigate justice in order to preserve a false sense of public fairness and propriety. Ultimately, in this speculative account of racist game theory, what I am arguing here is that anti-racist peace and justice seekers need to be as strategically analytical as their counterparts. If you don't know you are a player, then you can't make decisions in the game. When we start to talk about racism seriously, when we start taking racism seriously, we not only understand the game and recognize that we are in it, we can actually do something to stop it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Support for independent podcasts like The Invention of Racism is so critical at this moment. In the national and global effort to dismantle racism and to establish human equality, we need as many thoughtful and courageous voices as possible. If you believe in and appreciate this anti-racism podcast, continue to download, like, share, and just support us in general. I also want to encourage you to use your media platform to honestly analyze, examine, and help put an end to racism. If you are listening to this podcast, and I know that you are, I'm getting lots of so positive feedback from so many people in so many places in the world, and I want to thank you so much. I know you're listening to this podcast, so I know that you know discourse on racism is not for the faint of heart. I hope that you will continue to join me as I present key topics in the invention of racism.